Hi, all you divas and devos out there. Welcome to Harbor for the Arts. I am your host, opera singer Brie Cooper. This is where opera, the creative arts, the performing arts meet lifestyle. I'm so happy you're here today. I hope you have your favorite favorite beverage in hand, your coffee or your tea or whatever it is you want to drink and you get cozied up and you listen to today's podcast because we're going to be talking about a few things. One, what's going on in the UK, specifically England, with the Arts Council and the support or lack of support with some of the opera companies, as well as the burning question, how did I get into opera? I get this question a lot. I get it in any correspondence. Anytime I talk to anyone, like just literally have a conversation, oh, I'm an opera singer. Oh, how did you get into opera? I thought I would just spend some time answering that question. How did I get into opera? But first, let's talk about what's going on in the UK, specifically with the Arts Council and the announcement that came out just a few hours ago about Glyndebourne Opera and how they are unable to do the regular tour that they have scheduled this year due to a slash in funding. So if you don't know, Glyndebourne Opera is one of the most famous opera companies. Now, I will say this, okay, because love Harry and Meghan, all right? Glyndebourne is located in, or Glyndebourne Opera is located in the countryside of Sussex. And we know the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, okay? This is why, here's my personal opinion, this is why the royals need Harry and Meghan. They need to... (laughs) get everything in line with the arts over there because they are slashing funding left and right and i still don't get i'm going down a rabbit hole right now but just indulge me i still do not understand what the big deal is when someone asks an institution hey I would love to have work-life balance. I would love to spend six months in the UK working and six months in the US working so I can be closer to my family. I hope that they reconcile. I think they will. I make my prediction now. I'm pretty sure they will because we all know family. Families have some knockdown, drag out arguments, fights, whatever you want to call it. And in the end, blood is thicker than water and hopefully they will come together. Now, Personally, I think that the royals over in the UK, they seriously need some diversity classes (laughs) or diversity sensitivity training or something. People can say all day long that they're not racist. Oh, I accept everybody. Oh, I love you. But the reality is that everyone, every single person on this planet has a subconscious level of awareness as far as how you treat people who are not like yourself. And I really do think it's a bold move. I think Harry has done the work because he's married to a black woman because his mother-in-law is the black black, okay? And I think the Royals in UK just haven't done that work. So I'm hoping, here's my prediction, I'm hoping that Harry and Meghan make their way on over to the UK. They mend fences. They're able to do the work, maybe part-time royals or something like that. I don't believe in this whole half in, half out. They're, They're royals. They need to just work it out and be of service. Spend six months over there, six months in the US, and then just work their charities. Now, the reason why I'm saying this 
is because Sussex, because Glyndebourne is in the countryside of Sussex. And I do think that if Harry and Meghan were to just make their way on over there, I'm sure the Arts Council will find that money to support Glyndebourne along with all of the other arts programs in the UK. Now, I will say this, if you're not paying attention to the economy of the world today, the UK is being hit hard right now. They're in a recession, families are struggling, and I think, honestly, the last thing anyone is thinking of right now is the arts. They need to redistribute funding to be equitable and that's just the name of the game. Now, I did spend some time working on my master's, which that master's I didn't finish. I decided to get my MBA. A master's in nonprofit arts management. One of the first classes that I had was about maintaining funding as a nonprofit. I will say the first thing I learned is that you never rely on the same source of funding year after year. Sometimes it's just not guaranteed. This is the case now where maybe arts organizations have really relied on that funding and this year it's just not coming through. It's not panning out. So I want to read a little bit about this article <laughs> that I read in the Telegraph. Glyndebourne forced to cancel opera tour after Arts Council funding gets cut. All of these cuts will mean that the company can't stage main planned choral concerts, in-home care concerts, and it's a huge blow. We've experienced this with the English National Opera who basically said the same thing. However, this time Richard Davidson, Houston Managing Director of Glyndebourne, said that the latest funding settlement from the Arts Council England is devastating for many of the singers, performers, administrators in the opera sector, which was targeted with significant cuts. It risks undermining delicate ecosystems in which the company operates. They cannot continue with the tour. Right now, the decision is to reduce Glyndebourne's funding by 50%. So I'm not sure where that's going to leave Glyndebourne. What I'm hoping is that opera companies in general, no matter where you are in the world, that you're realizing you cannot rely on any sort of funding that you get from year to year. You've got to find other ways to make that money up if you don't get it the following year. Icing on the cake if you get it, but if you don't, you've got to find other ways to reach out, to be engaged with the community. I received my master's in business administration. It gave me a lot of clarity when it comes to my music career and how it intersects with business. And this is strictly a business decision. Hopefully, Glyndebourne and the English National Opera will work together with the Arts Council to find a happy medium, I hope. And I'm hoping that this isn't the first in many budget cuts that are getting ready to happen across the board with the Arts Council. And I have a feeling that's what's happening. So if you want to read the article, it's with The Telegraph. And that's really, I don't know, it's alarming. But at the same time, as an opera singer, we deal with that all the time, all the time. Music teachers deal with that all the time. Budgets getting cut. So anyway, so on to our next big topic. You guys wanted to know more about me. I'm so honored. 
and like I said, I get this question a lot. How did I get into opera? I think everywhere I go, I get this question. How did I get into opera? For me, it's I got into it really late, actually, compared to some of my other friends in college who they always knew they wanted to be a performer. They always knew they wanted to sing. I think I always knew I wanted to do something with entertainment in many aspects, not just opera, not just, oh, music, I love music, oh my gosh. Now, my mom had a love for music. She was also an opera singer. I think I definitely was influenced by her and hearing music all of the time. My dad was a huge lover of opera, classical music. It set him apart. He loved it. It was just, for him, it was a matter of taste and class <laughs> I have to admit I have to admit okay I have my family's from here of course the United States I was also born here my dad's side of the family is Bahamian so it's like the best of both worlds but honey Bahamians are protocol and procedure I was in junior high taking music, which I always enjoyed my music classes. My teacher would always compliment me and she'd always say, oh, you have a beautiful voice or she'd teach us something on the piano. Oh, you you have beautiful hands for the piano. I took really quickly to the recorder and to violin and I always liked to play those instruments. I always enjoyed learning instruments. So it was just fun for me. Fast forward, I remember my, I don't remember what grade I was in. I don't know, seventh, eighth grade. And my teacher said, I'd like you to sing a solo. She calls my mom and dad. I didn't even know this. The night of the performance is here. I sing the solo. I remember I made a mistake in it. I remember stopping. It was the first time I'd ever sung in public solo. We started all over again. And I also remember my best friend in the front row trying to make me laugh and it worked. I remember making a mistake. We started all over again. Everybody stood up, everybody clapped. The next day, oh no, on my way home, my parents, my dad was driving and my dad said, why did you stop in the middle of the song? And I told him I was really nervous and that's when he talked to me about stage fright. Now my dad had a PhD in philosophy. So he had this big reason why people suffer from stage fright. And I'm telling you, after he had that talk with me, I got like more excited or had those butterflies in my stomach, or sometimes I felt, oh my God, I'm going to pass out. Oh my God, I'm not going to remember the words. But I never had that same level of stage fright after he talked to me about that. So that was the first step. And the next day, when I went to my math class, my teacher says, oh, Bridget, can I pull you out of class for a second? I just need to talk to you. And I was always a really quiet student, like a good student, like not good meaning grades, but good, just good person in class. My teacher pulls me out of class. We're talking and she held my hands and she says, you have one of the most beautiful voices I have ever heard. And I just was like, okay, can I go with the class? <laughs> I didn't think about it again, but throughout my seventh and eighth grade years, I was always in the opera. By the time I got to high school, people were just always telling me what a beautiful voice I had in church. Now, I went to an Episcopal church growing up, so we sang a lot of hymns, but I remember my friend, <laughs> Jennifer Cristiano, Jennifer Cristiano, she used to sit, stand next to me and she used to say, oh, you have such a pretty voice. And I would hear this all the time. And I just never really 
thought much of it. By the time I got to high school, I was in an all-girls school with the nuns, <laughs> and the nuns always kept you in line. Sister Joan was our music teacher. She loved to play the piano. I think I gave her a run for her money. Oh my God, I was such a brat. I was such a brat to her. And Sister Joan always talked about how beautiful my voice was, and she said, let's just sing a song. The first song she gave me was Somewhere from West Side Story, and she said, you're going to sing this at the, I don't know, whatever assembly it was. I think I just didn't want to do it. I gave her a really hard time. I remember that, and I feel bad about that to this day when all she was trying to do was support me and I was just being a brat. And she goes, you're gonna sing this song. Now, let me tell you something about nuns. They don't play, okay? When they say you're gonna do it, you're gonna do it. <laughs> you can give them a hard time all you want, but you're gonna do it. So I ended up preparing this song. I sang it. It was literally the first time I felt like, oh my gosh, maybe I do have a talent and maybe it's not just everybody being nice saying oh you're so good you're so good all of that and everyone literally jumped to their feet gave me a standing ovation and I'd never seen this look of just like pride on my parents face just oh my god like this is it this is what she was meant to do and after that it just became now it became harder for me because most of my friends, they were musical, but they weren't planning on a career in music at all. But once that became very clear for me, I started receiving tickets to go hear Jessie Norman when she was in town or Leontine Price and go hear her concerts. Um, and my parents would just get them for me. And sometimes they'd go with me, sometimes they'd send me by myself. And I would sit there and listen to these concerts and all of that. And then of course, then it's time to get serious about college. Had no idea where I was gonna go. I had, my grades were not, I was not a honor roll student as much as I wished, as much as I wanted to be. There was one teacher that was probably my saving grace when it came to academics because I had a, a really good friend. This is when they say surround yourself by people who are smarter than you or people that kind of make you better. I had a best friend and she was really smart. She was in honors everything, AP everything, honors everything, a 4.22. <laughs> she was telling me about her honors class in English and I said, wow, I wish I could be in honors. And she says, why don't you? And I said, I'm not smart enough. And she said, why don't you ask her? I said, oh, my grades know. <laughs> She'll know because my grades know. And she said, you should still ask her. And I remember thinking, okay. So I went to Miss Simpson the next day. She was in her classroom putting papers on the desk. I asked if I could be in honors English. She just looked at me and I thought she was going to be like, no, get out. And she says, what makes you think you'd be the right fit for honors English? And I said, I don't know. I think I told her the whole story about Bernadette and I working, walking to, to, to the metro, walking to school and her talking about her class. And I said, it sounds really interesting. And I think I could do it. And she says, I think you can do it too. But I want to tell you, it's a whole lot of reading. She says, it's more reading than you will probably read until college 
And I said, okay. And she says, but it's a lot of fun because you really get into characters and literature and intentions. She gave me special permission to be in her class. Now, all of my other teachers were like, are you nuts? She can't even, <laughs> she's got like a D, a C in my class. And she says, no, I'm gonna give her special permission to be in this class. I'm gonna give her a month and we're gonna see how things go in a month. And it turned out to be my best class ever. It turned out I ended up with an A in that class. It made me work harder in all my other classes. By the time it was college time, I wasn't sure where I was gonna go. A client of my dad's, his daughter went to East Carolina University and that's how that got started. That's where I went to college. I went to school of music there. It was a beautiful experience. I loved it. I had a, oh my God, I had such a good time. Such a good time. Classes were hard. I had a couple classes that were really difficult for me, theory, sight singing, and it was just really hard, but I made it through. I did it. It took me like five years to finally get through because I kept failing some of my classes and I'd have to take them over. My parents stood behind me. They were like, no, this is what you're supposed to do. Everybody struggles. I, we knew you were going to be one of those students. <laughs> so that's what it is. That's how I started. Like, that's my path. That's how I started. I'll get into the rest later. I hope that answers some of your questions. Please feel free to go listen to my music on Spotify. I'm a verified artist, Brie Cooper, mezzo-soprano. You can find me on YouTube as well. Um... One of my pages is Brie Cooper Anderson. It merged all together with Brie Cooper Mezzo-Soprano, but it's there. And also TikTok, Brie Cooper Mezzo-Soprano, Instagram, Harbor for the Arts, and Brie Cooper Mezzo-Soprano. Yeah, and I have a TV show, Harbor for the Arts, and also Opera Luscious. And my other podcast is Cooper and Company. So please feel free to reach out to me. I would love to hear how you got into music what is it that made you get into music how did you start because I'm always thinking everybody started when they were like three (laughs) I hope you have an amazing rest of your day I hope you enjoyed this podcast